Is Linda here? Linda, you seen? Okay, I know Jim had surgery, so I know he's not here, so we'll pass these on later. And uh, I see some of, some of Jim's uh, families here, so I'll give, uh, give you his afterwards, so please uh, remind me. How's everybody doing? Everybody having a decent week? Are the kiddos ready for Christmas week? Is this the week that you've been waiting for? I see smiles. I'm seeing smiles in the auditorium. I know you're excited. You know, this morning, as we think about the, the Word of God, I have a question for you, and it's on the screen behind me. How often do you consider the resurrection of Christ? How often do you consider the resurrection, your own resurrection? And do you even mean, do you even understand what I mean when I ask you the question, how often do you consider your own resurrection? You see, brethren, this is a very important uh, uh, question to be able to answer. You see, because what the resurrection means is that we have a resurrected life. And that eventually we will have a resurrected body if, and you guys often hear me say if, amen? If we do what? Live according to the will of God. Live according to the moral standards of God. Then you too will have a resurrected body. For heaven awaits all of us who are children of God. Amen? amen. And as I think about this question, do you consider the resurrection? <laughs> I know we're at worship service, and on the table it says, do this in front of me. And so I know we come together once a week, and we consider the resurrection. We consider the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But is that the only time we consider the resurrection? Because if it's the only time we consider the resurrection, I wonder how often then we consider the idea that Jesus has told us and asked us that we need to purify ourselves. We need to purify ourselves in Christ. And so as I go through the passages of Scripture that we have prepared here this morning, I want us to uh, really think about those two questions. You see, brethren, all who hear the gospel that is preached to them should be able to understand the importance of living a resurrected life. Do you understand, as brothers and sisters of Christ, what it actually means to live a resurrected life? You see, because I have a lot of conversations with various individuals at various stages of their Christian faith. Some are babes in Christ. Some have been in the Lord's church for many years. And I often ask the question, do you consider what it means to live a resurrected life? Do you even know what it means to live a resurrected life? And that is the reason why we study to show ourselves approved, so that way we can know how to answer those questions. You see, brethren, in order to answer the question and, and, and consider the question, why must I purify myself, we have to know what the scriptures teach. And so this morning, I, I, I hope to encourage those of us who are living resurrected lives to continue to do so. But I also hope this morning to, to encourage all of you that are here this morning who are not living resurrected lives to start. And I'm going to give you the information this morning that explains how you can do that. If you look on the screen behind me, the first passage of scripture comes to us by the way of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 through 3. Notice what it says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because, well, it did not know him. Beloved, know that we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, talking about Jesus, that we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has fixed their hope on Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 
You know, when you think about this passage of Scripture, and especially verse 3, God has shown his love towards mankind by doing what? By giving his son over to die for the sins of mankind. Did Jesus come and die for his own sins? Or did Jesus come to become the pathway that we are to then lead us back to the Father? Pat said this morning when he was given the, the thoughts on the table that we need a pathway back unto the Father. And that pathway is, it begins and ends in Jesus. It begins and ends in the love of the Father. We know that, brethren, when we think about purifying ourselves and we think about how that pathway that we need to, uh, to seek out is in Christ Jesus. It is through Jesus that we can have brotherhood. Amen? It is through Jesus that we can become sons and daughters of God. Amen? And so, brothers and sisters, there are certain blessings that, that come from being sons and daughters of God. And one of those blessings is that we will know him and we will see him like he, like he is. And we think about that, what that means in that blessing, to know him and to know what he will be like, is, is, is the idea behind the, the, the knowing Christ, the idea behind purifying ourselves, the idea behind becoming like tri, uh, Christ and transforming our minds. How often do you, have you heard or seen those little bracelets? And there were many years ago, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? I remember early on in my faith, I used to think those were so corny. I just, I was like... <laughs> That's just weird, silly. I was like, why do people, who's wearing those? Why would you want to wear those? And I never wore those. But that was before I became, that was before I became a member of the Lord's Church. But I, I did. I thought they were silly. Because why? I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what it meant to be like Christ. I didn't understand to think and to ask questions. What would Jesus do? The entertainment choices I'm about to partake of. Would Jesus partake of it? The movies I'm about to sit down and watch. Would I be ashamed to watch the same movie with Jesus sitting beside me? You know, there's lots of different questions that we as Christians, when we think about this idea of purity and how it says on the screen behind me in verse 3 that, uh, that all everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. Well, what does it mean to purify ourselves? Where does that, where does that, that journey really begin? And so, brethren, the hope, is, the hope that we have is referring to the hope that we could be changed and that we will be like Christ. Because last time I checked, our hope is not in the world, but our hope is in who? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. And so it's not surprising that the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3 connects the idea of being like Christ with the idea of purity. He connects the concept of Christ-like living with purity because Jesus demands pure, pure living from all those who call upon his name. If you wish to become a disciple of God, purity doesn't come from, uh, uh, to the Christian through who you are, from the family you were born into. It doesn't come from the, the things that you do. Purity simply can only come through one individual. And that was the blood that he shed on the cross of, Je uh, that he shed on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus shed his blood... And he gave his life, and he shed that blood for the forgiveness of sins of all mankind. That is the first uh, pathway to purity. And how do I know that? Because we know that nothing but the blood of Christ can remove the stain that sin has caused in our very lives. Amen? We learn about that in 1 John in uh, chapter 1. We learn about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. We learn about that in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Brethren, the blood of Christ is what can remove the guilt and the stain of sin uh, that is in our very lives. <laughs> to be raised and to be a new creation means that we have a resurrected life. 
Well, what do you mean, Dave? What do you mean that, uh, that we have this resurrected life? Who here went down into the watery grave of baptism? Raise your hand if you've been baptized into Christ. And then what happened? You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your sins are washed away. And what happened? You're raised in newness of life. And as you've been raised in newness of life, brethren, that means that you are a new creation. But in order to be resurrected, there has to be something that takes place. And do you understand what that is? In order to be resurrected, there has to first be a, a death. I can't resurrect somebody who's not dead. And so when we went down into the watery grave of baptism, we laid to rest the old man of sin. And we raised up a new creation who's been purified by the blood of Christ for our sins are washed away. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I think about what the scriptures teach us here this morning. And it, thinks, it makes me think of Romans chapter 6. I see what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Rome in uh, chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. And he says, even so, consider yourselves to be what? Dead to sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Brothers and sisters, when we purify our lives, as we go back to that concept, and how he, concept, uh, he, he, he uh, connects the concept of hope in Christ and purity with the life of Christ and the mind of Christ, it makes me think of the idea that when we transform our lives by the word of God, we must no longer uh, allow worldliness to consume our every thoughts. We must no longer allow worldliness to rule our minds. We must remove all forms of sexual immorality in order to be pleasing from God. Can you live a sexually immoral life and still be pleasing to God? And the answer is no. And I don't care if you're talking about heterosexual or homosexual sin. All, sin, all sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is what? It's sin. And that's something that our modern day uh, society has seemed to have forgotten. And so there are too many people that are in the Lord's church who are involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage, but they show up to Sunday services, they show up to uh, Bible studies, and they think everything's okay. For I'm a child of God. Brethren, you're not a child of God if you openly rebel against God and His rule and His command. Because at that point, God no longer hears your petitions, your prayers. We must remove all forms of sexual immorality from our lives if we wish to live purified lives. We must remove sinful thoughts and desires from our minds if we wish to be like, uh, if we wish to be like our Savior. We must put away greediness. We must be known as giving people who look to give to people of all walks of life. No matter who they are, how, no matter how different they look uh, than you, we need to make sure that we do what's right in the sight of God, in the sight of all mankind, no matter who they are, no matter what, uh, where they live. And so, brothers and sisters, it makes me think of our tongues when I think about purity and living purified lives as, as we are to be like Christ. Are we to put away anger? Are we to put away gossip and, and slander and anger and abusive speech from our mouths? Why? Because James 1 and 26 tells me, if you, James 1 and 26 says, for he who cannot control his tongue, his religion is worthless. Is that a strong statement? He who cannot control his tongue, his religion is worthless. Well, in order to be able to control your tongue, you have to transform your mind with the word of God. We must continue to make sure that we conform to the death of Christ. For the Apostle Paul said in order to have a resurrected life, we must be resurrected. And where does that take place? It takes place in the waters of baptism. How do I know this? 
Because when you study out scripture, the Apostle Paul also wrote to those in Rome, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been what? Baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. And therefore, it says what? It says, therefore, we have been buried with him uh, uh, through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Brethren, our baptism shows faith. Our baptism shows confidence in God and God's power to be resurrected, as well as uh, God's power to raise it, resurrect us in the second resurrection. The first resurrection takes place after the waters of baptism. When you're raised up out of the water, you're raised in newness of life. The second resurrection takes place after, uh, after your death. And then when, when Christ comes back, and he's going to raise up the dead first. And then all those that are left on the earth, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he's going to, those are going to be raised up in newness of life. Those, the, sheep, the sheep that are on the, uh, on the right are going to be raised in newness of life. The goats that are on the left will be sent to an eternal damnation. And so when we consider this information here this morning, our baptism shows not just our faith in God's ability to do what he says he will do, but it shows our confidence that God, uh, God and his power to be resurrected as well as resurrect us. Think about this. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, uh, or 21 tells me, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. But is it uh, baptism that saves you or is it the resurrection that saves you? Well, let's think about that for a second because it says corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? It's important because if Jesus had died on the cross, but was never resurrected, then you and I are still in our sins. Because that means he would have just died for his own sins. Without the resurrection, the baptism means nothing. And so the power is in the resurrection. The power in our lives is in the resurrection when I raised somebody up out of the water to newness of life. I buried the old man of sin. I raised up this new creation who's supposed to go forward, live for God as a purified individual. Do you see why it matters if you consider your resurrection? When I ask the question, how often do we consider the power of the resurrection of Christ? How often do we consider our own resurrection and that we are called to live purified lives? Does the Bible say anything about living a holy life? We are to be holy as he is holy, right? What does it mean to be holy? To be cut, to be separated. Separated from what? Separated from the world. We no longer live for the desires of the flesh and the wants and desires of the flesh. We live for God. And we buried the old man of sin, no longer living for our own desires, but now we live for God and for all that he commands. Brethren, to have a resurrected life, we must abide in the resurrection. To have a resurrected life, we must walk in newness of life. And to, we must understand that we have to seek things first, the things above. As we first uh, seek the things above and not worldly things, we know that we're putting God first in our very lives. And brothers and sisters, I've often said we need to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. Again, we have a resurrected body. But in order to have a resurrected body, there first must be a death. 
Notice what this next passage of Scripture says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this passage of Scripture and this chapter uh, in Scripture because those, there were many who were denying the resurrection. But notice what it says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You look at that passage of Scripture, brethren, and I'm here to tell you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, from the dead is a fact that is attested to by actual witnesses. It's one of the greatest uh, uh, attested facts in human history. And so Jesus had been found to be alive and resurrected after his death and burial. Paul himself had seen Jesus many years after Jesus' resurrection. That's the only explanation for, for the phenomenon which took place in the, uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul. Because after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he lived a radically, immediately changed life. This was a man who was searching out, seeking out Christians to destroy them. He stood by Stephen and held the coats as they, as they stoned Stephen to death. He was separating families, imprisoning Christians. And what do we know? We know all of a sudden in Acts chapter 9, he comes, uh, this great bright light shines before him. Jesus literally appeared in the flesh. He didn't appear as a hallucination. Jesus appeared before him. And what do we know, brethren? We know that besides uh, the Apostle Paul, Jesus had, to, had appeared to, to many of his disciples and early apostles, whether as individuals or as groups. But in more, on top of that, he appeared to over 500 individuals at one time. And, it, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that many of them were still alive. Well, why is that important? Because from the time of Acts chapter, uh, chapter 9, and from the, from the time that the Apostle Paul recorded the events in 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20, about 27 years had passed. And most of those 500 people who witnessed the resurrection of Christ were still alive. They knew the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be a fact. A fact that they believed with such certainty that they were willing to die for it. They were willing to give their lives for it. These early disciples went up and down the highways and the byways of the Roman Empire, doing what? Telling the gospel story, telling why it's good news, with a, with a seriousness, with a sincerity, a sincerity that changed the lives of untold thousands of believers who believed the message, who were baptized into Christ, who were added to the kingdom, and they did so even unto their deaths. How do I know that? Because when you study out history, you learn about Nero. Nero was the first of three emperors that persecuted the church. And for 249 years, the Roman Empire uh, tried to destroy Christianity. But they couldn't destroy something that people believed with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind. They were willing to go to the death because they knew the, the life, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was one of the best attested facts of human history. Yeah. Brethren, they seen the resurrected Christ. Over 500 individuals at one time. And so we look at all of this information here this morning. And we think about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that it beautifies human life with the halo of immortality. Have you ever considered your life, and I mentioned this in Bible study this morning, have you ever considered your, your immortality? Have you ever considered your life as eternal? You see, because Jesus had victory over death. 
Because Jesus lives, we too shall go on living even though we die physically. And the thought of immortality with God in heaven should thrill all of us and cause us to want to share that information with each and every person we come in contact with. Do we have friends and family members who are dying outside of Christianity? Yes. And so we need to then make sure that we don't allow any more family and friends to die outside of Christianity. Be willing to, to stand up and to take whatever persecution may come your way and whatever fault finding may come your way and be willing to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said a moment ago the early disciples went up and down the highways and byways of, Ro of the Roman Empire while they, were trying to be while they were trying to destroy them, doing what? Teaching the gospel with sincerity. Teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody who would hear them, even though it meant their certain death. They've taught it anyways. Brothers and sisters, the life, uh, there is life after death. Jesus was victorious over death, but the quality of that life really depends on you. There are two destinations. You see, each and every person on this planet is an immortal, eternal being. But we get to determine where we spend that, that, uh, that, that, that eternal existence. When we transition from one state to another, death is simply a transition. We're going to transition either to heaven or we're going to transition to hell. And so we get to choose where we go. And so how are you living your life? You see, because as we stand before God in the judgment, as I often say, we are going to be judged on the character of our person. We're going to be judged on the quality of our lives and the decisions we've made, whether good or bad. And the, there's consequences to those decisions. God had instructed us in all that we need for life and godliness. He has given us the literal blueprint for how to attain heaven. So I ask you this morning, what will you choose? Are you going to choose to live faithfully unto God? Or will you choose to ignore the evidence and continue to live as if there is no living God? Do you believe that there is a living God? Do you believe that hell is a real place and that heaven is a real place? Do you often consider your resurrected life? Do you consider your resurrected body which you will receive after death? You see, brethren, these are very important questions because if you don't fully believe if you don't fully buy into all the promises of God and what the scriptures teach, well, then you're not going to be willing to talk to friends and family because you're going to be ashamed of your faith. Because you don't want to be known as one of those Bible thumpers. You don't want to be known as, you know, uh, as, as one of those uh, Christian radicals or those religious radicals. So are you willing to, to step outside of your comfort zone and to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a reason why they call it the good news, isn't it? Because there's a pathway back unto Christ, and it's called the plan of salvation. Sin separates us from a holy and righteous God, but there's a pathway that connects us back to God, and it begins in the waters of baptism. And that is the first resurrection. And then we live lives of purity, holy lives, as, as, as saints in the kingdom as fellow servants in the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, death is merely an event and the passing from one phase of existence to another. The most exhilarating thing in the, in the whole range of human experience is the idea that we are immortal, eternal beings. And that literally, the Bible says, all that they could do that, that, uh, that, that, that stand against you is kill your body. 
But the Bible says, fear him who can cast both body and soul into where? Into hell. Why? Because that's a reality. Because death is just merely a transition. And then when I, when I meet my maker and I stand before God in judgment, I hope to hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. Because then I'll be welcomed into a, an immortal, eternal life in paradise. Where I live alongside my God, my creator, my savior. Brethren, when we look at the scriptures this morning as I get ready to shut this lesson down, those of us who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior of their lives and remain faithful until he returns, heaven awaits. The crown of life awaits you during that time. A person would have to be foolish. You'd have to be foolish not to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd have to be foolish because it's believable, it's logical, and, it's, and the existence of Jesus is a proven fact in history. It's a proven fact in history. And so living a life of obedience to Jesus does what? It produces better people. It produces better families. It produces better communities. And so, brethren, we need to make sure that we're living out our faith in society, in the world, for all to see. And that we're willing and able to speak about the resurrection. Willing and able to speak about the, the, the things that the Bible teaches, about the good news, and about how there's a pathway back to God from the separation that sin has caused. So if you have not accepted the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind, then, brethren, I end it with this. I ask that you receive this gift, because this gift we learn about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 on the screen behind me. For the wages of sin is death. Everybody read this, please. But the free gift of God... The eternal gift of God is found in Christ Jesus. Do you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you want to receive the greatest gift that you, could, uh, uh, that you could receive if you're not a child of God? And if you have family members or friends who are not children of God, this Christmas you can give them the greatest gift. You can teach them about your faith. You can teach them about your Jesus. You can teach them about all that, that, that it contains. You can teach them about the love of God, his grace and his mercy and his love. Brethren, give somebody this Christmas literally the greatest gift that you could ever give them. For the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Why do they call it eternal life? Because we are immortal, eternal beings. And if you are a child of God and you live life faithfully until the end, you will be raised up with God, with a new body, and you'll be welcomed into the heavenly realm, and you'll spend eternity with God and his angels. I'm pretty sure that's going to be better than hell and Satan's minions. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, what are you waiting for? How many here have been studying the word of God for months and months and months and yet still have not made that decision to give their life to Christ? What are you waiting for? There's no better day than today than to give your life to Christ. To start this, this journey, this, this resurrection, the, the, the idea that you purify yourselves in the waters of baptism and you remain pure by living a holy life. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us that as we, as we walk in, in the light, as Christ is in the light, that we are continuous, continuously cleansed by the, the blood of God. We're continuously cleansed by the blood of Christ. And if we are continuously cleansed by his blood, then brethren, we will live a pure life. Because God's, the blood of Christ takes away the sin of the world. So brethren, if you're here today, and you're not a child of God, today is your opportunity to, to become baptized, 
to be added to the kingdom, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God will wash away your sins. But maybe you're here today and you've been away from the church for some time, and you, your desire here today is to be restored. Then you can come forward and speak with the elders and you can ask them to pray for you. And you can be restored back to the church. And you can make today the day that you start to live faithfully unto the Lord once again. Brethren, this is your opportunity as we stand and sing the song of invitation.